This is The Last Ship Podcast, Season 3, Episode 13. Thanks for joining me for the unofficial fan podcast for the TNT drama, The Last Ship. I'm Al Holtz, and this is the podcast on which I discuss, analyze, and critique the show that wrapped up an outstanding third season, but killed a great character in the process. As always, I'll begin with my general impression of the episode, followed by detailed analysis of Season 3, Episode 13, titled Don't Look Back. I'll name the well-said moment of this week's episode, and I'll wrap up with the naval feature, Ship of the Week. So let's dive in. My general impression of this episode, season finale, and we got all the answers we were looking for. Shaw and Price are both dead. Danny met Frankie. Oliver's back in charge. Sadly, Chandler resigned, and we lost maybe the best character the show has had in Tex. But it was an episode full of action, full of story, and full of some great character moments. So... Bravo to the entire cast and crew for a great wrap-up. The episode opens with Chandler entering the San Diego Emergency Shelter with Captain Malin. Inside, Oliver is chatting with citizens that tell him the Marines came and took everything and told them to get out of their house. Oliver encourages them, tells them those Marines didn't know what they were doing and that everything will be all right as Chandler listens in. Elsewhere in the hall, Doc Rios is caring for a patient. A man walks through the shelter holding a photo of two children that are apparently missing. A couple enters and Chandler offers them a blanket. The man tells Chandler to leave them alone. Chandler appears shocked and distraught with what he's seeing at the shelter, which I think of course leads to some of his thinking later on in the episode. In the Nathan James briefing room, the crew is going over the details that Castillo provided about the other three regional leaders. As they form the plan to take out those three, Tex tells them to leave Price to him. Oliver says we take out all three at once, and Kara says four. We also need to take out Shaw. In St. Louis, Shaw is on the phone telling the regional leaders that Shirley Castillo has a reason he is not answering their calls and that the train has not arrived. While they continue whining, Shaw tells them to stop, that she will handle it. She hangs up and asks one of her men if they have found them yet. He starts to tell her about the James, and she stops him and says, I'm not talking about the James. The man says, no, we haven't found them yet. And very astutely, someone on Twitter almost immediately identified that the them they were referring to here were the Chandler kids. On the James, the crew is preparing for the mission, and Kara tells Danny the last she heard was that her mom and Frankie were splitting from the Chandler family. Danny tells her she should take Wilson and let him handle Shaw, and that she's taking it personally. She tells him now it's personal to all of them. Kathleen brings some ammo magazines to Tex and tells him to kick some ass. He kisses her on the forehead and heads out. On the deck, Chandler tells Jeter that it seems like every time we put the country back together, it falls apart again. Jeter tells him, we're still here, and when it breaks, we'll fix it. Chandler replies, it's a big country. This is another hint that the responsibility that Chandler feels in these situations is beginning to take a toll on him. In CIC, as Oliver enters, Granderson tells Chandler they have body cam footage from all four land teams. 
Chandler, manning the body cam and satellite image monitors, tells Oliver this should be over within the hour, and then we see all four teams in position in St. Louis, Des Moines, Texarkana, and New York City. Chandler gives the order to execute, and the teams move in. I wondered here, why would they have only one person working to monitor all of the images? It would seem far more effective to have one person for each one of those field teams so that they could keep better track of what was going on on the screens. Vulture team takes Croft in a parking lot in New York, and Tiger team gets Wilson in Des Moines. Raptor team moves into Price's residence, but she's not there. Cobra moves into Shaw's residence, and she's not there either. Kara says there's only one other place she'd be. In the White House, Shaw tells Price that Chandler's alive and that Intel tells them he's on the James with Castillo in custody. Price surmises he is coming after them, and Shaw says, that's why I called you here. Colonel Witt pulls out his fancy missile-launching briefcase, and Shaw and Price activate it with their thumbprints. Price asks, what have you got this time, nuclear weapons? Shaw responds, it's California, I'm not that cynical. She says, we're going to hit the James and watch Chandler die. Witt then pulls a 1980s arcade game joystick up from the briefcase. I said plenty about this briefcase last week, so just mark me down for more of the same criticism here, only just a bit more for that joystick coming out of there. On the James, we see a plaque that reads, This seal commemorates the at-sea home of the United States Presidency, December 11, 2013 to December 23, 2013. Assuming this is referring to the time that Michener was on board, which it seems it has to be, that means that the first two seasons of the show occurred in a time frame prior to the first episode's air date. So I just found that as an interesting little piece of trivia. Chandler enters Oliver's office on the James and advises him that Wilson and Croft are secured in local prisons and satellites picked up Price's plane landing in St. Louis. Chandler says he has diverted all teams to the White House. He says, as soon as we take Price and Shaw into custody, we'll get you on the air to address the people. Oliver says, and say what? He tells Chandler, we are public enemies number one and two. The people don't trust us. Chandler says, that's because they've been poisoned. We'll change their minds. Oliver tells Chandler, before the quarantine was in place, it was me and 115 people in a Costco. Back then, the people wanted to fight. I'm not sure they do now. How did they find someone loyal to them and against the regional leaders to guard those leaders in local prisons? Wouldn't they just be released as soon as the James crew left? Oliver in this scene is telling them that people don't want to fight and that he and Chandler are public enemies, and yet for some reason they'll trust the James crew to keep these guys in prison? That just didn't jive to me. Cobra team reports they have arrived at the White House. Burke is outside, Kara and Sasha in the garage. In the office, Witt tells Shaw and Price we have a target. Witt fires, and CIC reports Vampire fires and takes out the missile. They attempt to determine where the missile is coming from, but cannot. Chandler surmises it was launched from a drone. They find the drone, and Chandler orders them to find the source of its control. Granderson works it and finds it is being controlled from St. Louis. Chandler reports to the teams that the drone's control is in the White House. Tiger reports 30 minutes out, Raptor reports 45 minutes out, and Vulture reports an hour and a half from wheels down. Chandler orders Cobra to hold and be ready to move in when Tiger and Raptor arrive. In the White House, 
Shaw's man enters and tells her, we found them. Price asks, what are you discussing? And Shaw says, the next item on our agenda. Price asks, what's that? And Shaw says this, and one of Shaw's men puts a bullet in Price's head. Shaw moves to the briefcase and tells Wit, we need to finish this job. When they killed Price, I wondered, why bring her there just to kill her? Then I recalled, oh, right, they needed her thumbprint for Wit's fancy briefcase. But the way Shaw works, couldn't they have just killed Price in Texas and brought just her thumb back to St. Louis? That seems to make a lot more sense. CIC reports another incoming missile. Nishioka takes it out with a 5-inch. Granderson identifies the satellite that Witt is using to target, and Cameron Burke gets a lock on it. A missile strikes the James and takes out fire control, spy radar, missiles, the 5-inch, and the sat link and cameras. Chandler tells Garnett that during World War II, ships would generate smoke screens by changing engine settings and asks her if they can do the same. She says yes if we use some low-grade fuel, but only for a few minutes. He tells her to do it. Jeter and Diaz run to engineering and pour unfiltered fuel into the tanks. Garnett gives Chandler the word, and Chandler orders the engines throttled and to circle back. Based on what I found, this method of generating smoke seems like it certainly has been done before, and whether or not it would work with a modern destroyer is unknown, but I thought it was a really cool effect, and it kind of made me wonder, why would that not be a standard tool on all ships if it's that effective which it seems like it would be at least somewhat effective. Why would they just not put smoke generators on there? In the White House, Witt tells Shaw that he has lost visual in the smoke. In CIC, Chandler asks if he has fire control, and Garnett replies it will be at least an hour. Chandler takes a seat at the console, radios to Cobra team that they are still under attack, and asks if they can breach the White House without backup. Sasha thinks for a moment, then replies yes. Chandler puts the James at MCON. In the White House garage, Cobra team takes out four guards and heads up the elevators. In the office, Witt tells Shaw he can't target because the missiles are radar trackers and the ship has gone to MCON. On the James, Garnett reports they have to shut down the smoke in three minutes or they will damage the engines. In the White House, the elevator opens and Cobra immediately takes out two guards. They move down the hall, take out a few more, then duck into an office while taking heavy fire. On the James, Garnett radios that they have to shut down the engines. Another missile is incoming, and they take it out with the Sea Whiz. At the White House, the firefight continues, and Cobra enters the office, now empty. Sasha is hit, but the round hit her equipment, and she is fine. Kara gets on the briefcase and crashes the drone into the ocean. As Cobra team takes position behind a table, guards continue to attempt to breach the office. Then silence. In CIC... Sasha is heard over the radio. Chandler grabs the radio and tells her, it's good to hear your voice. And we see Tex, Miller, and Danny in the White House securing the outer office. Sasha reports the White House is secure. In the elevator at the start of this action, Carlton Burke refers to Sasha as ma'am. Now, I don't recall ever hearing Sasha's rank this season, so either he's just giving respect to her as a civilian, or... When she was Navy, she had reached at least Lieutenant Commander to outrank him. This scene had some great action with Cobra Team taking out many guards. But my question, what were all of those guards guarding with Shaw no longer there? There's no president. The regional leaders aren't there. Shaw's not there. What is that large detail doing watching a building with no important people in it? 
At an airport, Shaw and Witt head toward a plane that is guarded by a number of soldiers, and Shaw tells the pilot that Chandler's people killed Mrs. Price, and they are probably not far behind. As they board the plane, Slattery and Wolf squeal up in a pickup, get out, and Slattery tells the troops to put down their weapons. He says he has been authorized to board the plane and arrest Shaw by order of the president. Witt tells the soldiers to stand their ground, then he tells Slattery that Shaw is willing to negotiate her surrender. On the James, the radio rings, and Chandler answers to hear his daughter Ashley's voice crying and saying, Daddy, they took us. Shaw grabs the phone from her, and Chandler tells her if he hurts his kids, he will kill her. Shaw tells him the deal is your children for you. In this scene, Shaw's men are holding guns to the Chandler kids' heads. How corrupted do you have to get to follow someone's instructions to hold a gun to a child's head? Chandler and all the teams arrive at the airport, and Sasha tells Chandler they have a few options. Chandler says no, he just wants his kids back. Tex says, I'm going with you, and Chandler tells him, absolutely not. Tex says, if you go in alone, they may kill all three of you. The two of them and Kara head to the plane. Colonel Witt meets them at the steps, and they all head up into the plane. Chandler asks Sam and Ashley if they are all right, and they say yes. Chandler tells Shaw to let them go, and they run to Chandler and hug him. He sees blood on Ashley and asks if she is okay, and she says, it's not mine. They killed Grandpa. Chandler gives Shaw a death stare, then tells the kids that Kara is going to take them. They head out, and one of Shaw's men ushers out Tex. Tex pauses in the doorway, nods to Slattery, and Slattery gives the order to move the pickup trucks. As they do, Witt's men move out to keep the James crew targeted, and Tex drops to the ground, moves to the rear of the plane, and opens a panel in the belly of the plane. As the plane moves out of the hangar, Chandler asks, where are we going? And Shaw says, there are a lot of nice places. And Chandler says, when we get there, you kill me? Shaw responds, that is the plan. Why would Shaw need to take Chandler somewhere to kill him? If she truly has the people believing he's the enemy, then just kill him on the White House lawn in front of the media. That Nobody would argue with that. It seems strange that she would need to take him somewhere. As the plane continues, Witt's men and the James crew are lined up holding their weapons on each other. Green asks, now? Slattery responds, not yet. Slattery begins to tell Witt's men they are sworn to protect the Constitution against all enemies and that Shaw is an enemy. Witt tells him to stop, but Slattery continues, telling them it's not too late to choose the right side. Inside the plane, Shaw tells Chandler that a man locked her family out of the safe zone to save more food for himself, and the virus came and she watched them die. So then she killed that man, and now she does things her way. Suddenly, Tex knocks down one of Shaw's men and drops him and another with his handgun. Chandler decks another man and grabs that man's sidearm, and outside Green says, Now! and Sasha kills the pilot from above, but misses the co-pilot. Chandler then kills the co-pilot and another man and trains his weapon on Shaw. The plane shuts down and Slattery tells Witt and his men it's over. Tex tells Chandler not to kill Shaw, that she is not worth it, and then he falls into a seat. Chandler moves to assist and Tex says, you're a good man, and then takes his last breath. I must say, I, I did not anticipate the death of Tex. I know he's on other shows but I still did not see it coming. But that's a lesson to all the viewers of The Last Ship. Nothing can be taken for granted on this show. 
Outside, Slattery tells Wit to stand down, but he refuses. One of the soldiers lays down his weapon, followed by another, and soon they have all laid them down, including Wit. In the plane, Shaw tells Chandler that someone else will take my place. She launches into a monologue about the people needing to be terrorized and says the America you know is gone, and a shot rings out from Chandler's sidearm and Shaw drops. He then collapses on the floor and Slattery enters to see everyone dead but Chandler. On the deck of the James, Chandler says to Slattery, I didn't have to kill her. I stood on this ship and lectured Rachel on the rule of law. Slattery tells him he is just as human as the rest of us. Chandler says, I need to hold myself to a higher standard. This country needs someone to guide it, and that cannot be me. And then he leaves the deck. This seems slightly strange to me as the teams killed many people during this mission, including Chandler just killing the co-pilot who did not appear to be armed, yet he's morally conflicted about killing the criminal mastermind behind all of this. In the White House, Kara's mom enters the office and tells Danny there is someone that would like to meet him. Kara enters behind, holding Frankie, brings him to Danny, and asks if he wants to hold him. He says yes, takes Frankie, and tells him, it's so nice to meet you. We had to wait 13 episodes for this moment, but it was great when we finally got it. In Chandler's quarters, Sasha enters as Tom is packing a bag. She tells him, you can't just leave. There is too much to do. She says, Kathleen has been crying all night, and you have not even gone to talk to her. He says, which speech am I supposed to give? Then he runs through the roster of crew casualties, including Rachel. He says, I wasn't there for her, for Darian, for my kids, nor my father. She says, put on your uniform. And he puts on his cap, turns, kisses her, then walks out. It seems out of character that Chandler wouldn't even at least go speak to Kathleen after Tex is killed, but I guess they are really trying to emphasize that he is no longer the man that we knew previously. In the White House, Oliver gives a speech on camera, while on the James, Chandler walks across the deck, past the crew as they salute him. Last in line is Slattery, and Chandler asks for permission to go ashore for the last time. Slattery says, permission granted, and Chandler heads down the walkway as the crew give him three cheers. Then Slattery shouts, don't look back. For this week's well-said moment, as Danny and Kara prepare for the mission, Danny tries to convince Kara to trade places with him. She objects, and he says, what if something happens to both of us? Kara responds, then Frankie will know we died so he didn't have to grow up in a world like this. Ship of the Week The Space Shuttle Challenger, OV-099, the second of NASA's orbiters to be put into service, completed final assembly on October 23, 1981, and was first launched on April 4, 1983. In June 1983, Challenger carried Sally Ride, the first American woman in space, and in August 1983, she carried Guyon Bluford, the first African American in space. On January 28, 1986, Challenger launched from Kennedy Space Center on its 10th mission with seven astronauts aboard, including teacher Krista McAuliffe, the first civilian chosen to go into space. 
73 seconds after liftoff, Challenger suffered a catastrophic failure which destroyed the vehicle and resulted in the loss of the entire crew. The subsequent investigation revealed that an O-ring seal on the starboard solid rocket booster failed, causing a small flare that melted the booster support. The booster separated from the vehicle and pierced the external fuel tank, causing a massive explosion. On March 7th, divers from the USS Preserver located the crew compartment on the ocean floor. The remains that could be identified were returned to their families for burial, and those that could not be identified were laid to rest in Space Shuttle Challenger Memorial in Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. And that will do it for this season. For all things related to the podcast, including subscription links and previous episodes, visit the show notes at thelastshippodcast.com slash s3e13. To see episode 13 again, visit tntdrama.com, find it on your cable system on-demand feature, or download the Watch TNT app. And join me here again next summer as we embark on season 4 of our favorite summer drama. Until then, as all season, thanks for listening.